Time to get freaky! <laughs> What's up, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. Today is June 13th, 2020. This episode of the worst podcast in history is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. As you probably already know, I'm going to shout those patrons out. I'm going to give you the two rules for the podcast, and then we're going to be on our merry way. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver dealers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place that I buy gold and silver. Just got a beautiful little piece from the Perth Mint from them last week. They turn around orders very quickly. They always have a lot of things in stock. The people there are lovely to work with, and they have a dedicated salesperson for QTR podcast listeners. Her name is Kathy. You can email her directly, Kathy with a K at jmbullion.com or you can buy from their website and put in code QTR5. You get $5 off your order and you get free shipping. JM Bullion is the only place that I buy gold and silver. I like them very much. They get my orders to me much quicker than other places that I used to buy from, and they're big supporters of the podcast. So if you are a gold and silver freak like I am, and you think the entire system is going to come down in a fiery wreck, and you feel like hedging, check out my friends over at JM Bullion. Link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my homeboy Pete Hedges over at The Trader's Path. The Trader's Path is a investing service that was started about a year ago. It was one year ago today that Pete called me and said he wanted to support the podcast. I remember I was in Atlantic City. I was at the beach. I was chilling. I was in a good mood. I was happy to speak to Pete then. And a year later, here we are. And I couldn't be happier that Pete still supports the podcast. But I want to support him for a second. What is The Trader's Path? The Trader's Path is an investing and day trading community that Pete started because he was a part of other investing and day trading communities that he thought were basically out to screw him. And he was probably right. If you watch the advertisements and things like that on YouTube for all these scummy, disgusting trading services with all these idiots, I'm going to show you three simple simple tricks on how I make a million dollars. These people, all they do is look at charts all day. None of them can tell you what a fucking market cap is. Pete got sick and tired of that bullshit and nonsense, said I'm starting my own service for the regular person that doesn't want to get screwed. The Trader's Path offers investor education. It offers daily watch lists, a daily live stream. Uh, So it's a great place to get ideas, bounce ideas off other people, especially with the markets going crazy nowadays. Good to have a community of people around you that actually give a shit. I like Pete. He's a good guy and an honest guy to do business with. Check out my friend Pete over at thetraderspath.com. Link is in the podcast description, but just tell him you want a discount. QTR said so. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. Sang Lucci, Charlie Bathgate, Wall Street Jesus, they offer up a couple of fantastic products that you can get from the podcast description. The first is the 3LT playbook, which are three simple rules that you, Lucci used to make himself a seven-figure trader. I checked out his Periscope on Friday. Looked like Lucci was up about 400 racks on the day. So that is a very good day. That explains why he was chilling at the office and fucking getting down to some tunes. He also offers the Sang Lucci Master Course, which is his course in financial education. And the Sanglucci Steam Room, which is basically what these guys are doing. They're following steam coming into the illiquid options market. They're tracking the big money. 
and then they are using that in their decision making. These guys are experts in market psychology and tape reading. And you can check out my friends over at Sang Lucci. Their link is in the podcast description as well. If you want a little bit of insight as to how they get down. And folks, Lucci made 400 racks in a day. He's doing all right. That's all I got to say about that. And it's not just bullshit. He doesn't just disclose his winners. He disclosed his losers. Last time he was on, he was talking about losing 400 racks in a day. Too big of a swing for uh, the old Q-man. But uh, Lucci gets it done and he's kicking ass. So check him out. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold. My friend Robert Mizello, Jay Mincemeyer, Russ Valenti, Nicholas Parks, Nathan Machado, Traders for a Cause, and Investors Underground, Chris Bede, Ken R., my homeboy Crichton Titus, Big Dog is in the house, Will Smith, Michelle Koenig, Dylan Davis, Ken, J.K. Cunningham, and Stank Love, and finally, some of my newest patrons, people that have donated since the last podcast, Sergio Villasenor, Gracias, Mi Amigo, Big Dog is somebody who I said already, and because I don't pay attention to what I'm fucking doing, just said it twice, John Edwards is in the house, Joshua Gridley, Ben Birnbaum, Government Cheese is in the house, Ken and Daniel Pereira, Jiggins, Thomas J. Osborne, thank you for your support, my brother, Mr. Dan242, and Dane, some people that have been with me for a while, like Marco Vitti, my brother, J.D. Bacon, Kenny Creed, Brad Ridge, thank you guys so much, Scott Corsi, M3, Max motherfucking Mulvihill, what's up, you ready to get this party started, my friend, because I am, First and foremost, I'm not a financial advisor. None of this is financial advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. I hold nothing. Don't listen to anything. Turn the podcast off now. Rate this podcast one star on iTunes, please. I thrive on the one star reviews. I bask in them. I love them. I could, I would shower in them if I could. Finally, this podcast has a two-drink minimum. It's Saturday. It's 2 p.m. Eastern, which means it's 11 a.m., Pacific, and by those standards, I think everybody that listens probably is already abiding by the two-drink minimum. What are you guys drinking today? Fucking leave me a note in the comments section. Or don't. I don't give a shit. Let's get started with today's interview. All right, we got motherfucking John Najarian in the house. (laughs) What's going on, John, of uh, CNBC fame or Market Rebellion fame, whatever fame, just general uh, market fame. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Chris. I like the new Joe Rogan kind of introduction. Oh, is that what that was? That's my introduction. That's not Joe Rogan's introduction. No, I know it's your introduction, but I'm just saying Joe drops a lot of the MFs in there at the beginnings of his podcasts as well, and I think that keeps it a little more real. Maybe that explains why I like his podcast so much. I just try to be myself. You know, people always say, oh, you sound like this. You sound like that. Are you doing this because of this? Are you somebody was saying last night on Twitter, like all he does is say, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm like, listen, you know, I made a commitment at the beginning when I started doing this podcast that I'm just going to be myself and that's it. And, you, can, you know, if I sound like somebody or I do something that somebody hates or loves, that's just it. And then there's nothing to remember, John. You know, you just be yourself. Yep. Yeah. Like they say, if you, uh, don't tell any lies. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's easy to remember what really happened. That's exactly the case. And especially in this day and age, too, where, like, everybody is focused on saying the right thing instead of just saying whatever they want. I mean, it's 
it's taxing to try to be second and third guessing yourself. I mean, you must get a little bit of that on television, huh? Do you ever find yourself well, like curbing your mouth? Because I've heard you at a bar at 2 oh, yeah. a.m. and it doesn't sound like you <laughs> on CNBC at noon. <laughs> no, and hopefully it won't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think all of us bite our tongue a little bit uh, when you're on TV, you know, both out of respect for the network and, you know, so you don't come across as coarse. Right. But I think if you're a trader and you don't drop F bombs, I don't think uh, you, you were really a trader. I mean, the trader Dave, <laughs> well, I love that. Guy. Especially you ex, uh, you ex floor traders from, you know, from Chicago, you guys aren't on mm -hmm. the trading floor going, excuse me, uh, could you please move over a little bit? <laughs> That's exactly right. There's, there's a lot more pushing, shoving, punching and all the rest. And uh, a lot of F bombs. Um, <laughs> Well, it's a feature, not a bug. Uh, anyways, listen, I wanted to ask you about Chicago. We talked about it uh, a little while ago, but not here on the podcast. I mean, you're you're a Chicago guy. What the hell's going on in that city right now? I don't know. Um, the mayor and the governor are both idiots. Uh, the governor of Illinois is J.B. Pritzker, a ne'er-do-well, you know, mama's boy that, you know, inherited billions of dollars and has never done a damn thing with his life um, except try to buy elections, which he finally did. And then you got uh, Lori Lightfoot, who is completely over her head in Chicago. But you, th these aren't the only ones. And for all the folks out there who think I'm not willing to rip Republicans, I'm more than willing to rip Republicans. Um, I'm just using this as an example because living in Chicago uh, and watching these two, all they wanted to do, Chris, was uh, uh, say, okay, police stand down. Yeah, we know George Floyd was killed. We know there's going to be hundreds of thousands of protesters. But for some reason, we really think hundreds of thousands of protesters will be very calm, even though many of those protesters were burning Minneapolis for the, for the last four nights. And then on the fifth night, <laughs> they came here, Chris. And for three nights, they just burned Chicago, looted Chicago. And it's like, you didn't see that coming? Neither of you two idiots saw that coming? I mean, Minneapolis, Chris, is a city of 470,000. I know, because I grew up part of my life there. And they're nice people. Um, I went to a virtually all-black high school, Minneapolis Central. You guys can look it up when you Google. Um, it's not even there anymore. But uh, I went to high school with Prince and Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, a bunch of these people that are, you know, fabulous friends. You know, unfortunately, many of them taken before they should have been. Uh, but when you look at a city of 470,000 and you say, well, Chicago's 2.8 million. If Minneapolis asked for 4,000 National Guard after the fourth night of being burned to the ground, don't you think Chicago might have needed a little help too, Chris? Well, I think <clears throat> the problem is that a lot of these liberal politicians think that they're in some way denigrating the protests, the peaceful protests, by acting and, and doing anything. And again, as I've said before, this is a situation that requires an immense amount of nuance. I don't have any issue with hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people taking to the streets and protesting peacefully. I don't have any 
issue with that at all. I don't care if the whole nation protests. And frankly, I understand why they're protesting. So I don't blame them. You know, I, I, I think the protests are justified and they're called for. But there's a there's a line between 100,000 people protesting peacefully and people burning down other people's property, people assaulting innocent people, you know, and generally people breaking the law. So the looting and the rioting, I mean, how many times have we seen video of innocent people in these cities that I'm sure run the gamut in terms of their political views and certainly they seem to run the gamut in terms of their genders and their race and the types of businesses that they own and I'm just reading one story after the other you know they're they're burning down black owned businesses they're assaulting elderly women in the street you you, you just wonder how you know how if you're a politician how do you allow that to happen it's like I feel like the liberal politicians feel like they're going to lose their gravitas with their party if they step in at all. And, you know, it requires two seconds worth of critical thinking. Peaceful protesting en masse is a great idea. It's one of the things that makes this country fantastic and it should be encouraged and it should be welcomed. But tearing down six city blocks in Seattle and turning it into a demilitarized zone that claims to be autonomous and is now protected by armed civilian guards. Well, what the hell sense does that make? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I We're on the same page. Um, I'm all in favor of peaceful protests. And I'm, I, if, if they need to get loud and boisterous and um, if they, you know, I'm not saying, oh, they didn't have a permit. None of that crap applies. Right. But the part of the lawlessness that I think Chris and I are offended by folks is that a lot of these businesses will not be able to rebuild. Sure. Some of them will be lucky enough, Chris, that if you or I tweet out something about a GoFundMe account, um, that might help some of these businesses get enough capital to rebuild, but an awful lot of them have no chance, especially in the poorest neighborhoods. You know, I'm not so worried about Gucci, even though of course, I'm not uh, I'm not endorsing, oh, yeah, you guys should loot Gucci, loot uh, Louis Vuitton, loot uh, Versace. I kind of like seeing those stores on Michigan Avenue, if, even if I've never been in one, Chris. I like seeing them there. It's kind of like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Chicago is a real world-class city. And then you loot them, and, and then you firebomb them, and then a lot of these places just say, well, you know, the mayor just sat there, didn't do a thing, uh, especially if it happens on more than one. By the way, Chris, since I know these stats, the uh, the mayor and the governor, after the first night of looting, decided we needed 370 National Guard, 370. Keep that in mind again when I say Chicago's a city <laughs> that is um, some seven times bigger than Minneapolis. And they had 4,000 National Guard there. Then after the next night of looting, they said, let's get another 370. And I'm like, you guys aren't even really trying here, are you? I mean, you're more than willing to let this place go up in flames. I tell you what, Chris, A, the, the only good thing I thought that came from that was apparently we don't give a damn if large groups of people get together 
because they're going to spread COVID. We don't care anymore, so I'm happy about that. Um, but the bad part, or good, depending which side you come up down on this one, is you cannot buy a gun in any city in the United States. You'd be hard-pressed to find a gun. Nothing will get gun sales and the Second Amendment um, flying more than a bunch of folks that are afraid saying, you know what? I don't really think the cops are going to protect us, honey. I better go get a gun. They have never seen, I should have been buying Strum Ruger like crazy Chris, RGR. I should have been buying Smith and Wesson. I should have been buying all of these as soon as I saw that first night in Minneapolis, but I didn't think it would continue for a whole week. Well, there's a couple things I want to unpack there. The first is that when it comes to bringing in the National Guard, you know, it seems to me to be a very easy decision. If you see what happens in Minneapolis and you are the, you know, you're the mayor of a big city, why wouldn't you reach out and just say, hey, I'd like, you know, 5,000 National Guard members on call in case we need them ready to roll or, yeah, bring them in. It's, it's, politicians are worried about optics. They don't want the, they don't want the, the CNN film of the tanks coming through the streets or the Humvees coming through the streets. You know, Chicago has turned into a war zone. But at the end of the day, as a politician and really, I like limited government, but one of the things that I want government to do is protect property and uphold the law. I mean, even libertarians will argue that those are the few functions of government that they want. And if it means calling in the National Guard so that some elderly woman doesn't get beaten in the middle of Rochester or some guy's business doesn't get burnt to the ground in Minneapolis and I'm the mayor, that's the easiest fucking decision I'll make. That's the easiest decision I'll make. And just to go back to your point about COVID and the crowds, isn't it interesting? Just just as COVID overtook the impeachment headlines, and I watched this in real time because I went to the same place for lunch every day and I was ahead of the curve on the coronavirus thing, so I knew it was coming. And every day I watched the same news programs and was making note of how much coverage the coronavirus was getting versus the impeachment, which was the other news item du jour back at the beginning of this year. And just as coronavirus came and nobody ever heard about the impeachment again, nobody has said a damn word about the impeachment for the last three months, John. Now we're seeing COVID out of the news headlines and it's all about covering, you know, the protests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it bleeds, it leads. You know that, Chris. And by the way, that COVID, I love this week, Chris, when all of a sudden everybody in the media got their wet dream, which was that they said, oh, cases are spiking. And they never wanted to cover that cases were spiking, even in lockdown states like California, where you know people have been streaming in over the border to get treated. Uh, they didn't even want to cover that, but they wanted to cover Texas cases were spiking. And by the way, uh, I, there's this one doctor that I was retweeting a lot that was nice enough to keep sending me data. 
And he said, John, do you know that of the 537 cases that we reported and that the media jumped on as far as, and keep in mind how big Texas is too, 537 cases, right. 523 of those 537 cases were from the prisons and they dumped all 523 on one day, not to skew it, but because, you know, they had the data and they're like, well, how do we, uh, I guess we just dumped this onto the base. And so they dumped it onto the database and everybody said, look at those cases spiking. You know, it's going from, you know, 30 and 40 a day up into the 500s. And it's like, no, 523 of those were from prisoners that tested positive because the prison uh, took 10 days worth of data and dumped it on a single day. Um, again, I don't think Texas is at fault for that. I think the media is at fault for not reading the rest of the story and instead trying to really, you know, get that uh, Thursday sell off. Oh, you know, if this is already the second wave and we're going into the summer, think how bad it's going to be. You know, they, they just suck. People that are selling that, Chris, just suck because the last thing we need after the shutdown and then after burning and looting and a bunch of people trying to recover and get back to work is for the media to panic them right back into some sort of a lockdown situation. It's not healthy, not healthy. Well, it's just another situation where you require more thought past the headlines. CNN yep. has the death toll running in real time on the television at all times. And what they don't list is the nuances to the numbers, like you're saying. X amount came from nursing homes. X amount came from prisons. X amount came from people over 70. X amount came from people over 80. X amount came from people with pre-existing conditions. And I think I started to kind of think, and I don't want to downplay the significance of the virus because it has affected me directly, my family and my very close friends are dealing with it right now. One of my one of my best friends is uh, dealing with it in his family, and it has wreaked some havoc. So I don't want to downplay it, but I also think that 12 to 18 months out from now, when we look back at how we reacted to what objectively the numbers turned out to be, and we look at where the deaths are, and we look at... I mean, I always say the antibody testing is going to tell us a lot. I think that I have always said, I think that this was, has been in the United States earlier than people thought that it was, you know, China said November. I actually saw a report on Fox news last week that had suggested maybe this thing was around in August in China. And if it was around in August, it was in the United States in December and it was in the United States in January. And we just, didn't know it. I've seen people on Twitter and people that are in their 50s and 60s saying they've tested positive for the antibodies and they don't even remember having the virus. Being sick. Right. Yeah. So it's just a question now of, I think we need to protect the vulnerable and I think that people need to be made acutely aware of what's going on. And for the most part, we've done that and we've made all these good strides, but... It was always about flattening the curve. It wasn't about stopping this thing in its tracks. And I hate to say it, but it seems like the end game is going to be that 
this will have to run its course through the United States and it'll have to run its course through the world. I mean, we, we, we can't stop it. Right. Right. That's right. And, and Chris, I love, you know, of course we could go back and forth and Monday morning quarterback, all of the different, well, you need a mask. No, you don't need a mask. Yes, you do need a mask. You can get it from a surface. You can get it from a freaking cardboard box. Oh, no, you can only get it from stainless steel. No, you, you're very unlikely to get it from any surface. Right. We can Monday morning quarterback all that stuff. But what I love was something like, for instance, today I'm talking to Chris on Saturday, folks. And on this day, I saw Andrew Cuomo, one of the worst governors of all. I mean, he, he thinks he's the best ever, uh, just like de Blasio thinks he's the best mayor ever. But this is the guy that put all those uh, sick old people back into nursing homes to basically give them a death sentence and everybody else in the nursing home a death sentence, too, because that's the most vulnerable class is people over 70. Most of those probably, you know, in that nursing home were over 70. Um, anyway, he, he saw a picture, Chris, of New York City and a bunch of people in their 20s partying in the street outside of a bar and some of them had masks on some didn't virtually nobody was social distancing and he tweeted the he retweeted that picture from whoever it was that posted it and he said don't make me come down there and i said back to him i retweeted back to him i said why what are you going to do threaten to put them all in nursing homes <laughs> piece of crap <laughs> i mean I'll come give on Cuomo some credit you know i I don't think Cuomo's done a terrible job in handling this, but for that incident that you're talking about, he's communicated with the media openly and relatively regularly, but de Blasio is on fucking Jupiter. I don't know where that guy's head is, de Blasio. He's yep. just, he is in outer fucking space, that guy. Yep. And, and uh, you know, groups, even far-leaning far left-leaning groups are deserting him in droves because again i mean cuomo actually had to rip de blasio and say if you can't get that city under control i will i know i had a lot of respect for that i like that i did too i did i i, I can cite some good things that mario cuomo does um andrew, but I see andrew awful, cuomo andrew yeah it's 20, mario 2020 cuomo. john you having an acid <laughs> yeah, that's flashback right. <laughs> Maybe Mario shouldn't have been with that with his mom that night or with with Andrew's mom that night and we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> if I had somebody in a nursing home, Chris, and they died because this bonehead put sick people with COVID back into the nursing home, um, I, I would think that you have a cause for um, a lawsuit uh, because, you know, even if you're late in life, you weren't going to die of, you know, something as horrible as COVID, which especially when they didn't really know how to best treat it and they were throwing everybody onto a, uh, a ventilator, um, that turns out is not the best thing to do, especially put them on their side, put them on their stomach, blah, 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 you know, so you can help clear the lungs. Um I would be pretty darn upset if I were one of those people who lost a loved one in a nursing home in New York. And you would think that governing, whether you're a mayor or you're a governor, you think it would just all boil down to common sense. I mean, 
you look at these scenarios to go back to the looting and the rioting and the the assaults and the general lawlessness you think it would just boil down to common sense but i and i hate to i i don't just want to rail on the left because there's people on the left that i like and there's some democratic policies that i like but with that being said it seems that they're too eager and too motivated to virtue signal to it's like it's blocking their common sense portion of their brain i don't know what part of the brain it is the hippocampus is blocking the amygdala (laughs) or something you know chemically something is not where i saw a tweet today from a journalist john that I, I put out a tweet this morning saying I thought the Miami police were doing a badass job because I watched this video of the Miami police dealing with essentially a riot down in Miami. And, you know, the police department in Miami, it's all black people and all Latina people, right? There uh there were I don't even I don't even think I saw one white police officer. And the crowds are up in their face and they're, ah, fuck you, you fucking pig, blah, 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 blah. Just barking and, and these guys were doing a good job of just standing their ground and relatively calm, controlling the crowd. And at one point, four police officers get into a police car to try to drive away from the scene. And they put the lights on and they're beeping and they're trying to get people out of the way. And, you know, people start jumping on the cop car And then one of these kids takes a fucking skateboard and swings it and puts it through the window of the police cruiser. So one of the cops gets out of the car and tackles the kid and places him under arrest. And the journalist who tweeted it out on Twitter was like, the Miami police are totally out of control. It's like the police are totally out of control. The fucking kid just put a skateboard through the window. Like the idea, the fact that these politicians and these... People on the left think, okay, well, that now it's fair game to just assault police officers. Talk about two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, that's total insanity, John. I agree. Yep, I agree. And um, it, it, you know, it seems more and more likely, Chris, that the election is going to come down to things like this. You and I probably thought it would have been jobs and uh, China. And I, I imagine they would have tried to push the impeachment narrative and so forth. But now it seems like it's going to come down to, OK, who is going to keep control right. better? Um, because an awful lot of people are just not comfortable with the idea. And that was one of the best things, Chris. I, I was listening to this guy, James Glassman from J.P. Morgan. And one of the good things about him is he doesn't live in New York City. Most most of who you and I hear and see on TV, Chris, are from New York City. They live there. They, they you know, if they're remote working at J.P. Morgan or wherever they're working, um, they're, they're still probably in the city. Or if they've done really well, maybe they're in one of the surrounding suburbs. But uh, they have a jaundiced view of the rest of the country. And they were asking him, well, what do you think of this? What do you think is going to happen from, you know, these riots and, you know, from all these protests and this and that? And he said, you know, across the rest of the country, this doesn't play well. People want to know that they're going to be secure in their homes. Right. They don't like the idea that 
the police would pull back and let them just run roughshod over, uh, you know, the central business district in any city, let alone hundred different cities that were torched and or where the police were told, stand down, you know, sure. don't, don't interact with these guys, just make a wall and try to, you know, calm the situation. Okay. <laughs> well, you can't tell me that there aren't going to be people that are going to vote that way. Like you said, are you going to vote for law and order? Are you, you know, if you're a Democrat and your business has been vandalized and looted and you've been assaulted as a result of these riots, how can you, and you live in a liberal city, which is where really most of the lawlessness appears to be occurring. I mean, Philadelphia has a Democratic mayor, and I'm watching police cars go up in flames. And, uh, you know, I know it's happening everywhere. I don't just want it, but it, it, you know, it looks as though the liberal run cities are having a tougher time or are choosing not to get things under control. But there will be people voting based on whether or not they want law and order, like you said. And I have to imagine that some people that have been negatively affected by this may change their tune on who they vote for. And the other thing, too, is Second Amendment. I mean, yep. I'm one of those guys. I like to stay armed and I like to be prepared. And when things are quiet and there's no news, people are quick to say, oh, you're a nut. You're a conspiracy theorist. What do you need that for? What do you need all this ammo for? You know, it's like, well, hopefully nothing. But in case something happens, who the fuck knows? I want to be ready to roll. And now all of a sudden there's a lot of people thinking the other way, John, which are, oh, like, I kind of get it now, right? The, the, my, my mayor isn't going to implement law and order. The Nash, they don't want the National Guard to come in. So this group of 100,000 people is just basically allowed free reign to run around and do whatever they want. Maybe owning a gun isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, well... Um, when I was showing my uh, um, some of my guns, I, I had to actually take my 16-year-old daughter and show her, you know, this is how you load a clip. Um, because, you know, she'd seen the guns and she shot guns um, at summer camp. She's actually been in Switzerland um, at summer camps where in Switzerland, Chris, virtually every person in Switzerland at one point or another has shot a gun right? Um, because they, they want people to be able to protect themselves and because they don't spend as, as hideous an amount of money as we spend on a military. So they say, well, it's incumbent on you beyond what we can provide, you know, with the cops, you got to be able to protect yourself anyway. So she has shot pistols, shotguns and rifles at camp, but she's never had to, um, you know, load clips into a Glock, uh, a nine millimeter or into a 45 automatic, um, both of which I have. So I had to show her, okay, hon, this is how you do it. Because, um, you know, the first time somebody has ever done that, Chris, you know how long it takes to load a clip a lot longer than you, than John wick. I mean, right. you're sitting there, you're sitting there dropping those bullets in one at a time and, it's not like an easy, oh, yeah, you know, everything's spring-loaded and so forth. And if you're putting in 10 or if you're putting in, you know, 15 or whatever, you're sitting there loading all these. It takes you a while. And so I said, well, you know, that's why I have these that are already loaded over here. And this one, you need to learn how to load it in case you have to reload. Right. Because 
you know, these are things that are important to know. But how long would it take you if your hands were shaken to to load a bunch of uh, uh, ammo into a clip? A right. lot longer than you think. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. It's 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 much tougher than people think, which is why I have several magazines for all of my several weapons all ready to roll. One of the reasons that eBay has probably rallied as much as it has. What? Uh, the riots. Well, what does that have to do with eBay? Almost immediately, Chris, the surge in uh, goods that was moving through eBay from the moment those riots and the looting started. No, I didn't. I mean, uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot, especially according to our alt data, an awful lot of stuff. And I'm not saying all that stuff was looted stuff. And clearly, nobody's putting up, well, nobody with a brain cell is trying to put up like Rolexes and things like that with serial right. numbers. But oh, a lot right. of other stuff was going up. You know, those Vuitton purses, they went on either Poshmark or eBay or whatever. One of the things I, I jokingly said, Chris, was, you know, you could have a swap meet for people that make a fortune because think how many people just went running into the stores, grabbed a pair of Montclair shoes that are stickered out at eight or nine hundred dollars that are probably worth 40 if that but they're stickered out at eight or nine hundred dollars and you just got to grab what you can get when you go in there you can't you're not going over and saying oh let me look for these i really wanted these in a <laughs> right. 12 i wanted this in a in a dark blue but i wanted it in a size 12 you're just grabbing whatever box is there because everybody else is and i was also chuckling at the people that were coming out of the stores with arms full of shoe boxes and things like that and the other looters were taking them from them on the way out. Right. The <laughs> you ultimate left with irony. five boxes, and then by the time you got to your car, you had one. Yeah, I saw a video of a couple of people walking out of Target with, you know, well, you got a handful of T-shirts. Okay, you know, <laughs> manufacturer suggested retail price combined. You're talking forty-five dollars. And by the way, your face is on camera now. At some point, they'll probably going to get to you for robbing the place. What for? For for a pair of shoes that don't even fit you? You know, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna loot a payless shoe source for a uh, for a size thirteen and a half pair of Nikes that's been marked down to nineteen ninety nine. The risk reward doesn't seem very good there, does it? No, it doesn't. But then, of course, like you said, the virtue signaling now. IBM says we won't do facial recognition. We won't sell anymore until we uh, um, have a, uh, a discussion with leaders oh, and Microsoft. Discussion. They're going to have a discussion. Yep. Microsoft said the same. They said, hey, we're not going to sell facial recognition software to the government. Like there's a lot of the rest of us that have been buying that stuff anyway. <laughs> I don't think so, Chris. So, John, you know that doing away with the facial recognition stuff is just bullshit. I don't know if you saw Amazon put out a press release said they're going to stop doing it for a year. It's like, all right, that's what kind of virtue signaling is that? I, you're going to stop doing facial recognition for a year? I mean, that's a nice gesture, but we all know six months later they're going to restart again and nobody's going to care. They just wanted to put out a press release. Yeah, yeah well, you, you already said it. It's all about virtue signaling. You know, as long as we are are deemed to be playing by the rules of the uh, cancel culture, um, I guess we can continue to play. Otherwise, they're going to cancel you. Yeah, and you've seen Dave Collum and this other Cornell Law professor 
You can't even speak out unless your opinion is the right opinion now. You have to have the right opinion. Otherwise, they call for your job immediately. You know, can you imagine being somebody in a in a position where you really need your job, John, and you just you're not entitled to your opinion, whether it's on social media outside of work or if somebody brings up a discussion with you somewhere else and you don't feel the same way as the crowd, as the Twitter mob, you're like, you're afraid to speak your mind because everybody's going to call for your job. That's the new thing. Yep. Just like, I mean, doesn't matter even if you're J.K. Rowling, um, you know, uh, she could view something as uh, 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 as just what I would say is scientifically accurate or you can be ruled by the Twitter mob that says, no, you don't get to say that. You're homophobic. She's like, really? I'm homophobic? <laughs> but that stuff, Chris, uh, uh, sooner or later, you know, now it's Anna Wintour uh, that they're going after, you know, the Vogue editor. And in all likelihood, by the time this biography of her gets out there fully, um, I bet they walk her, you know, they'll perp walk her out of there. Well, you have people that are that people that have legitimate grievances with what's going on. And I'm not saying that there's not a problem with police that needs to be addressed because I think there is. I'm not saying I haven't had bad experiences with police because I have. I agree that George Floyd was murdered. I agree that the police officers standing around that didn't do anything to stop it should be held culpable for their inaction. I'm I'm with it. I agree with that. And I think that there's people that have legitimate grievances. I mean, I've seen police officers do some wild shit in real life. But you also have a group of people who are professional victims. They're standing around waiting for something to be pissed off about. Waiting for something to be offended about. Waiting. I mean, half the time, I bet these people aren't even offended. They're just looking for something, some person somewhere online just waiting for somebody else to say one word, John, that they can just take and say that. You know, like the, the other day they were saying, well, Trump's holding a rally on, you know, uh, Juneteenth Day. And what a disgrace this is. And I was like, as if they looked that up and said, oh, here's a good day to do a rally. You know, somebody wrote an article, this just emboldens white supremacists. They didn't fucking look up that day and say, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna stick it to people and do it on this day. They just said, all right, June 12th or whatever looks good. So we'll do that day. And it just happened to be whatever day, but you could pick something for any day, John, any day. Oh, you can't do this on Sunday because fucking so-and-so, this happened on a Sunday, 123 years ago. It's like, fuck me. Can we just, can we just get on with life? (laughs) Can we just, can we, can we communicate? Can we communicate with one another? Can we get our opinions out there, John? Can we have a civil discourse? Can we have dialogue with one another without having to worry about whether some fucking 19 year old gets pissed off about it, somebody that doesn't know shit about shit or the world in general? Uh, and the answer is no, at least right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, sadly. I mean, were you like that when you were 18? I mean, I was a Democrat. Oh, when I was no. when I was in my late teens, early 20s, 
I was a full-on Democrat. I don't think I ever got that crazy, though. I quickly, I found libertarianism, like, in my early 20s, and that seemed to make some sense to me. I have a lot of things that I side with Democrats on, many social policies, conservative when it comes to finance and rule of law. I mean, what were you like in your late teens? Yeah, I would say... uh... Very, very similar. I mean, Chris, I went to Berkeley, UC Berkeley. <laughs> so how do you think it was? Um, because, you know, I grew up in San Francisco by Haight-Ashbury. Um, we used to, you know, uh, go and hang out down there, my brothers and I. And uh, then when I got out of junior college, I went to Cal Berkeley and didn't graduate from there, left. But I didn't leave because of any political reason. But I was surrounded in that school, just like you are still, by very hard left-leaning people <laughs> and didn't have a problem with them, though. Right. You know what? I'd go to their parties. I would sit with them and we'd talk and all that sort of stuff. Now, you can't talk. Um, my, my friends in Europe always joke with me, Chris, that uh, in America, they say, why do you call uh, the left liberals? And I said, that's what they call themselves. And they said, because in in Europe, liberals are people that consider both sides. Right. And conservatives are the one that are just hardcore down this line. They said, in America, seems like your liberals are a lot more like our conservatives. <laughs> Wild, and I always though, right? say, well, yep. Yeah. I said, that's kind of the way I look at it, too, my friends. Well, and just going back to like what I was saying about the Second Amendment earlier and people voting for the rule of law, I think we're going to see the gate swing in the other direction to some degree. I mean, I think it is possible to go so far left, radical left towards anarchy where people on the left start to say, all right, like this is a little too much for me. I'm not I'm not down for anarchy. I'm not down for full blown socialism. I mean, do you think that's possible? Oh, hell yeah especially like you said already, business owners, you know, because obviously there are uh, Republican and Democrat business owners, right and left leaning business owners. And um, if you've just watched your place go up in flames and the very group that you support so virulently um, and perhaps even with your money in terms of donating and so forth, and all of a sudden, that group is the group that's tearing your shit apart. I think you get pretty angry. And right. I think you lose, uh, you know, real business people to that sort of uh, mob rule. What do you think this is going to do in terms of having an effect on the election? I mean, what do you think is going to transpire between now and November, John? And Biden is leading by quite a bit. He's leading by double digits right now in the polls what's your outlook politically? And then I'll ask you about the markets after that, but give me, give me some inkling as to how you think this plays out politically. Well, uh, first of all, I think these two uh, uh, conventions are going to be interesting, especially if the Democrats have to run a convention via zoom or some such thing, Chris, and the Republicans, which have already canceled their, uh, convention in North Carolina because the Democratic governor wouldn't give Trump um, a go-ahead to have a big, ra you know, rallies and all that kind of stuff, let alone 50,000 people for a convention. So, um, you know, it seems that 
you're going to have one that it, it, there could not be a starker difference if one is a group uh, that is, you know, sequestered away in Joe Biden's basement and the, the other is a group that is in a stadium w- with a raucous 25,000 person crowd. I mean, if, if you take a look today, Chris, at Tulsa, um, Tulsa, they're marching through the streets of Tulsa to go to a Trump rally, I guess. And it's if it's not 100,000, it's close to how many people are walking down the streets there. I mean, it's just crazy. But again, like James Glassman said of J.P. Morgan, these are flyover states nobody pays attention to. Right. Is, is Biden going to win New York and Massachusetts and New Jersey and California? Of course he is. But if Trump and if the you know his push is obviously going to be I'm your law and order president. If he's going to go that route and Biden is, you know, fighting with the AOCs of his group, uh, the progressive side that are saying, you know, defund the police, um, that's going to be a pretty stark contrast, too. So I will also be very uh, I think it'll be, you know, like the best pay-per-view of all time when Trump (laughs) and Biden actually when they debate, Chris, I mean, it's going to be terrible. Yeah, I'm getting because, a, I'm getting a keg for that. Oh my god. I mean, poor Biden. I mean, that dude is addled. And when he goes up there against Trump who gets off on this stuff and all of a sudden a bunch of Biden's underlings decide, well, maybe it's a good time for us to get him some ADHD drugs so he can get kind of jacked up. And he gets up there and starts sweating. And, you know, getting all nervous and kind of bouncing around. <laughs> I think it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, and it will be, uh, I think, a turning point as well once they debate. Somebody alleged that Trump was on Adderall. I think there were two oh, people. Yeah. One was a guy that was a producer from The Apprentice. And uh, the other one was... That was Trump show, right? The Apprentice? Is that what it's called? Yes, sir. Yeah, one yes, of sir. them was a producer for The Apprentice, and the other one was, I think, Tom Arnold or some other idiot, but they both said that he crushes up Adderall and snorts him, which actually, when you think about it, makes some sense. I mean, the guy sleeps like four fucking hours a night. He's just yep. up all the time, like... That wouldn't surprise me. Remember that one debate he had, John, where he was like, he was sniffing so much. People are like, what's the deal, man? Is this guy on coke? Like, it really sounded like, that was a debate against Hillary. It really sounded like he had a coke problem, which at the time, I, I didn't even know about the Adderall allegations. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, hmm, maybe he is snorting right. Adderall. And he might just be taking it, I, but he could be snorting it. Again, I... I have no insight to offer there, um, except that he certainly would be a candidate for ADHD medication. So, um, <laughs> when you're the president, I, you're the, you're a candidate for getting whatever the fuck you want at all times. Yep, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk. Uh, actually, one more political question have Have you seen the okay. AOC versus MCC race? This is an interesting one. I read this morning that AOC has decided that she does not want to do an in-person debate with Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who has really been calling her out. I've really been enjoying watching Michelle Caruso Cabrera run against AOC because they're both Democrats. 
And, uh, you know, one is a moderate Democrat, I would say, of Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who seems to have some common sense. I mean, you know her right from your time on CNBC? Yeah, I know her. She's smart. And that would be a terrible move if AOC were to debate her. Because AOC, as she's shown time and time again, is a complete loon bag and has no facts to back up any of her idiotic statements. And MCC, Michelle Cabrusa Cabrera, um, is just the opposite. And she would drop truth bombs on that girl like crazy and make her look bad. So keep in mind, though, that as much as she thinks she's entrenched, I think for her to win last time, she had 12,000 votes. This isn't exactly like, um, you know, that she's been an entrenched uh, victor with, you know, the person she unseated was indeed an entrenched Democrat there, a gentleman, I think, that that had been elected to, I think, eight terms in the House, which would be 16 years. Um, She's had her two years. They're almost up. I hope they shut her down and get her out of there because I think she's bad for New York and bad for the country. Yeah, that'll be an interesting race. That's one I'm going to keep uh, a close eye on. What do you think about the market here, John? Well, I think that that big drop was a little bit of the overextension, Chris, uh, you know, that people had been talking about and talking about and talking about on all the networks. Um, and, of course, a lot of the fear that, oh, my God, what if this is this, you know, the second wave hitting? And I've already explained that at the top of the broadcast that some of the some of the data was skewed by um, dropping you know ten days worth of data on a single day and saying well this is the trend. Um, but if we don't see a significant second wave problem, Chris, then I think the country continues to recover, and the exact people you and I would cite as likely candidates to go somewhere on a plane or to go to Vegas or to stay in a hotel or go back to a restaurant, all that group, um, which is going to cut across everything, Republicans, Democrats, but it's mainly going to be the younger among us are the ones that are going to continue to be experiential, want to go out, can't stop them, won't stop them. And that if that's more than the 25 or 30 percent of the reopening, if they push it to more like 50 and 60%, this market's going to rage. Um, that's one part that I really agreed with Ricky Sandler of uh, Eminence Capital when he said it on our air. And my buddy Josh Brown was uh, giggling and telling him he was wrong. And that was however many, 5,000 points ago. <laughs> well, it's, so it's an interesting quagmire, too, because a couple of months ago I tweeted that this could go one of two ways. One is the Fed overshoots their mark and it leads to catastrophic consequences where, you know, inflation starts to show up and people have lost confidence in the Fed. And the other is, like you said, we see some kind of recovery and people I think are forgetting. I said on a podcast I did a couple of months ago, I think the Dow will either go to 10,000 or 40,000. And my basis for saying that is if we don't have a complete collapse and the macroeconomic data doesn't seem to 
register with the stock market, which certainly it doesn't. I mean, one, one, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I think people are also kind of forgetting the fact, especially people that are skeptical of the Fed like myself, but you also have to take into account that when we come out of this, we're coming out of it with unlimited QE and 0% interest rates that aren't going anywhere, even if we don't go negative, which of course would be a horrible idea. But still, I mean, we are, rates are 150 basis points lower than they were just a couple of months ago. And now we have unlimited QE and the Fed backstopping the entire bond market. So, you know, unless something big breaks, John, unless we let the hyperinflationary genie out or the bond market decides to go tits up, really, why wouldn't we come out of this with equities not fucking screaming? Right. That Well, that's my base case, is that um, I think when Josh or when uh, Scott Wapner or anybody else questions whether or not people are going to come out, and even Tillman Fertitta, when he said, hey, I worry that if we open it, how many are going to come back? Are they going to come? I can answer that for you, Tillman. They will. I mean, you if you open it, you know, will it be the 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 ones that that are the most timid no but will it be every freaking person between 18 and 44 hell yes they will come out and by the way you'd much rather would you rather if you're i was a restaurant tour for a while chris i owned uh, three different restaurants um only one ever made money by the way and that was a mexican cantina and we killed it but the other two were high, fine dining, and we sucked. We we lost our entire investment on those. But um, I will say that uh, the old people that come old, not you know, I'm not talking 70 and 80, but the people between 50 and 70 that go out, they're going to go out and they're going to have their you know 50, maybe 80 dollar bottle of wine. They're not looking to you know. Uh, go out and be showy or anything else. They're going to have a nice steak. They're going to have a nice bottle of wine. Maybe they have a cocktail. All of a sudden, you get four um, millennials out there. They're having appetizers with uh, champagne. They're having cocktails after that. They're going to be asking the guy about this $300 bottle of uh, Cabernet and so forth. I know from experience that group spends a hell of a lot more money than the older group. And, uh, you know, whether they should or not, Chris, it's just kind of, you know, a recognition of what millennials do. They don't have homes to with mortgages to pay. They don't have cars. They're all riding around in Ubers. So so they spend the money and they will go out. If you open it, they will come. And there's going to be a point, too, where the country we kind of pass that inflection point where the country just reopens. I mean, regardless of what the government says and regardless of the rules and the regulations, and we're going to reach a point where the virus has normalized and become a part of our lives and people understand it and they feel like they've got their head wrapped around it and they know the risk and they just choose to go back about their lives. And I think there will be, I don't know, where it'll come relative to whether we get a therapeutic or a vaccine. And I don't know where it'll come relative to what the government stance will be on reopening, but 
just as I am certain that we'll reach herd immunity eventually, I'm also certain of the fact that the country is going to cross an inflection point where people just say enough. And that doesn't, by the way, to your point, that doesn't stop people that are vulnerable from waiting and from quarantining themselves until a vaccine is made available. I mean, I talk to my mother all the time about this, and she says no matter whether or not things open up, I'm going to continue to be cautious, you know, but she's looking forward to getting a haircut too, John. So I think... I think we're just going to pass that point someday and we're just, you know, we'll be looking back on this. And even though the virus may still be around, the, the country's just going to keep doing what it's doing. Yep, I agree. It's not going to completely remake the country like some people in particular in the media have said. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that certain things will change, um, but other things will not. And uh, it'll be a lot more like it was and a lot less of that dystopian weirdo future that some people have forecast. Well, we adapt. You know, I've been saying since January, February, before the U.S. even was put on alert about this and before the, you know, toilet paper was running out in stores and people in the suburban moms were loading their SUVs from Costco before all that. I was saying, hey, get used to seeing people in face masks and Tyvek suits that, you know, start doing the mental gymnastics necessary for that, because that is likely going to be the scenario. And of course, people said, no, 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 no. But just as I said that, I also said, we will adapt to this. This will become normalized at some point. And we will, you know, we'll change and we'll evolve around. And you see it now, John, with some you know restaurants only offering outdoor seating okay well you know fast food is drive through only now and all of these companies and corporations are taking all these steps to take care of their customers like my local uh, supermarket here they spray down all of their carts for you before you take a cart and they have pretty strict social distancing guidelines and the companies that do that will benefit and people will go there because they make them feel safe. But they're not closing down and just throwing in the towel and say, oh, we're not doing this. So I, I think we will adapt in general. Yep, and we're I not, agree. And we're not that far off from a vaccine, John. I mean, what do you think? What what happens to the market on the morning we hear we've got a vaccine? Um, Probably 1,800 points, just like we dropped on Thursday this past week. 1800 points or more to the upside and it'll and they won't give you a chance to get back in because like you said Chris zero interest rates q q infinity and beyond i mean you know who doesn't want to own stocks in that environment right and that's it i think a lot of the nerves now and even though the market's been bid back up you know 30% off lows or 40% off lows which you could argue is insane for where we are now but that'll be it when the news hits that the phase three trial is over and the vaccine reached its primary endpoint and it's safe and there's efficacy. That's it. Because as far as the market's concerned, being a forward looking instrument, we're back to normal. Yep. I agree. That's exactly what, and like I say, that's my uh, belief as to where we go. Um, and the, the one thing that I really fear is 
the one thing that the media seems to want to try to sell us so hard, and that is, oh, it's second wave, second wave. If we don't lock down um, because of a second wave, we're going to be fine. Well, I don't even know if we're going to – I mean, I think if states implement a lockdown, I don't know how – willing people are going to be to do it like they were for the first. There was a lot of unknowns when the first wave came around. I mean, we didn't really know as much as we do now. But and and again, too, I don't think it's a second wave. I think it's just the continuing wave that's been going around. I think we may even be on the second wave of this thing already. And we may not know it. I mean, this thing may have started coming going around in the United States in November, John, in December. Right. I mean, we right. just don't know. Very accurate. Very accurate. And if indeed that's the way that it is, Chris, then just like Stanford has said about um, the Palo Alto area when they said, look, we think 40 percent of the population has already had it in this particular population. Right. Um, if if we're getting to numbers like that, then herd immunity is upon us. We're very close. Yeah. And testing is everywhere now. And you just constantly hear cases and what one thing i've noticed now is when you hear x amount of workers at x company have been found to be positive with the virus that used to be a big deal like three months ago people would stop what they were doing and read that article and now it's just sorry you know people are just shrugging it off like you said earlier you know you have a friend and he had it and he had it for three days and that was it i mean there's most people wind up in that type of situation. Again, not to discount the people that have passed away from it, not to discount, you know, the severity of the virus. But I don't know, John. I feel like I feel like like you said, I feel like we're we're probably further along toward herd immunity than people think. Yep. I that's what I believe and uh I, I, a great guy to follow, by the way, Chris, is this uh, Nobel Prize winning doctor uh, from uh, South Africa. And now he teaches at Stanford and his uh, handle is M Levitt underscore NP for Nobel Prize 2013 because he is a Nobel Prize winner. And he is constantly messing with with media when they get this stuff wrong. And he's constantly saying, you don't understand. He says, the, the math of this situation is this. And then he'll go into a detailed description of exactly why we are much further along than people wanted to say. And he's another one of those folks that believes that, um, that the media is more about spreading fear than they are about spreading information. Yeah, well, I think that that's dead on. I think the media has... And when people say, why are hospitals being flooded now and they weren't in November and December, if uh, you think that it had been here earlier than we think. And my answer to that is always I think that there's a propensity for people to overreact more now. Not saying that hospital visits aren't warranted and, and that that doesn't happen. But I think also, too, when you turn on the news and it's the only thing you see at all times, people are have way more of a tendency to overreact to those types of situations where they would go and check themselves in at a hospital, you know, for a cough or for a sore throat or for, you know, trouble breathing. 
when in the you know in November of last year they may have just said, "Ah, oh, I'm just fucking really sick. I just got to stay home." Exactly. That's what I think too. My last question to you, John. You said okay. that you are uh, outside having a cocktail today, so I'd like to know what it is that you're drinking. Tequila. Is that right? <laughs> Almost always, Chris. Sometimes bourbon, but nine times out of ten, it'll be tequila. Um, several great ones, including the Rocks. Uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson has this great tequila called uh, Terramana, T-E-R-E-M-A-N-A. Okay. That's the, and I think that might be his handle on the Twitter for that too. But that's a really good reposado. I really like that one. Um, but I like Avion, and I know some of those guys. In fact, one of the guys that was making Avion tequila for uh, that group left and went with The Rock, and now he's making Terramana. So, um, but I, I to, what is yours right now, Chris? Other than beer, what is yours? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm having a beer right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, nice little Saturday afternoon. How do you drink your tequila? Do you drink it on the rocks or neat? Or somebody else was just telling me about tequila, which I never got back into after the phase in my life where you drink 22 shots in 45 minutes and then, you know, throw up on yourself. I never revisited it after that phase. How do you? Well, it's it's more of a drug than it is a drink, um, especially the good stuff. But I neat most of the time. Um, but then if I'm making um, what would resemble a margarita, I'm probably making it with um, like a very low-cal, uh, either uh, lemonade or even cranberry uh, because they have these new five-calorie cranberry things. Because, Chris, the last thing I want to do after freaking putting in all these miles and doing all the stuff that you and I do to stay healthy as far as for our hearts and all the rest I don't want to put on a bunch of weight from uh, drinking a sugary drink. So I do really low-cal um, uh, cranberry or lemonade and put tequila with that, and that's delicious. That's my version of a margarita. The uh, the Bethany Frankel skinny girl margarita, huh, John? Yep, it's like that. <laughs> don't those uh, low-calorie drinks worry you? I always uh, – there's something about – you know, I understand what you're saying. Like, hey, you don't want to you don't want to drink all these extra calories and cranberry juice has got all this sugar in it, and you know it's just a terrible thing to put into your body. And then you go and you buy the five calorie one, or you have like a uh, a diet coke, and you look at the label and it says no calories, but then you drink it and you're tasting something. Something <laughs> something is going on in this drink, right? You're not drinking water. Right. Water is zero calories. And I always was like nervous about that. I used to work at a company that worked with fuels. And I went to lunch one day with an organic chemist that worked there, an old guy that used to work in petroleum and uh, was like a chemist for like 40 years. And he was drinking red wine with lunch. And I had a Diet Coke. And I was like, why? Like, why are you drinking that? And he's like, why are you drinking that? He's like, do you know what your body does with aspartame? He's like. He's like, aspartame is not biologically recognized by your body. And so your body sees it and it doesn't know what it is. And then it makes a cyst because it, it has no clue on how to deal with it. And I was like, oh, that's fucking interesting. And I always kind of worried, like, there was something logically that didn't make sense with me, John. You say 
this is five calories, but you're not tasting five calories. It tastes like you're drinking a regular drink. Something fucky's going on there, don't you think? <laughs> I I agree. I agree, but you know, better living through chemicals, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get a chemist on this show to explain that shit to me one day, but not today. All right, John Nigerian, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Love it, Chris. Thank you. All right, thank buddy. You. We'll speak soon. That was the one, the only John Nigerian of Market Rebellion and CNBC fame. All right, folks. It's Saturday. That was really my last bit of work I have to do for the weekend. So what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you guys, and that's gratuitous because I don't need your fucking permission, is take my drink downstairs and outside into this sunny day, and that is the shit that I got to do. So I'm out. Peace.